Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Romans chapter 1. That's what we're going to be looking at, Romans chapter 1 today, mostly verses 5 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can, or don't have your, the version app on your phone, that's what I use, um, you can look in the bulletin. Uh, the scriptures we're going to be looking at are, are, are in there. There's also a place to take notes. And so we started this series last week on the book of Romans. It's God's ancient story today. And we, we've seen that the book of Romans teaches us that God works in history, right? Through events, through places, through technology, both then and now. Um, God works through it all so that we can know who he is and how much he cares about us. But saying that, saying that God sort of works in the big picture, uh, sometimes gives the impression that God's like this invisible hand, right, that works behind the scenes, that you never really see him or feel him, but you have this sort of vague and uncertain sense that he's there somewhere, right? Um, that's how lots and lots of people feel about God. They have a sense that he's there, but they really don't know, what, you know who he is, what he's like. They can't really predict how he's going to act, um, but he's not really personally involved, at least not consistently anyways. And what I want you to see today, what we're going to look at today is going to help sort of correct that thinking. Um, what we're going to see today is that God both works in history, but he also works through people. Let's get the next slide up. So we saw that God works in history. We're going to see now that God works through people today. And God works through people because he is a personal God. Okay, God cannot come and give you a hug, and so he will send people on his behalf to hug you for him. Um, in fact, God works through some of the most unlikely people, and he makes these unlikely people the most powerful proof that he is real, and so that you can be sure that he exists. And so we're going to look at two different people today in this passage in Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at the author of this letter, Paul, the apostle, and then we're also going to look at the recipients of this letter, the Romans. Okay? And as we see God work through these two people, we're going to see how God works now through us too. Okay? This ancient story about God and people and Jesus will come true all over again in our lives, starting even this week for you. Okay? And so I want to read the passage that's in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to look at it up here on the screens as well. We're going to walk through it to show you how God works through people. Okay, so this is Romans 1. We're going to read verse 1 and then go from verse 5 to 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is God's word. And so verse 1, if you have your bulletin, you can see verse 1 starts with the word Paul. Paul. Paul, this first word, Paul, the entire letter, it makes us want to stop and we need to smell the roses. Okay, you can walk by them and go, oh yeah, it's a rose. Or you can stop and take in its bouquet. And I want to do that with Paul. Who is Paul? Uh, there is a story behind this name. And I think often the person who is speaking, there are times when the person who's speaking is as important as what is being said. And that's certainly the case here. Um, Paul was, first and foremost, he was Jewish. And so what this word, Paul, the story of Paul's life teaches us that first, God, if you want to take notes, first, God works, worked through a Jew. Okay, Paul was a Jew and God is working. He's writing this letter and God has worked through a Jew. And so this is a Jew who is writing to the city of Rome, which was the capital of the Roman Empire. And there was a relationship between the Jews and the Romans at that time, okay? Uh, the Jews were oppressed, and they were occupied, and they were taxed into poverty by the Roman Empire, okay? There were occupying troops throughout the land of Israel, and so the Jews hated the Romans. Um, if you were here with us during Advent, uh, the problems that Jonah had with the Assyrians and the Ninevites are similar to the problems that many of the Jews in Paul's day had with the Romans. And so to the Jews, the Romans, all the Romans, were evil beasts. Uh, they were unclean and unworthy of God's blessings. But, but if God sent a Jew to these people who are in Rome to tell them about his love, then they would know, gosh, this must be true. Right? We, the Romans knew the Jews hated them. They knew that the Jews, how the Jews felt about them. And so for a Jew to be sent by God to tell them that God loves them would have been remarkable. I mean, imagine if during this most recent presidential election, if President Obama came out and endorsed Donald Trump. I mean, everyone officially would be suspicious, Right? Everyone would think, wait, hold on, he must have, there's got to be blackmail going on here, right? There'd be all kinds of conspiracy theories, what in the world? But then if President Obama was serious and he was consistent, then after a while people would think, wow, it must be true that the best person for the job is Donald Trump if the standing Democratic president is endorsing him, right? Not that that's happening. But in the same way, in the same way, God sent the most unlikely Jew to the Romans so that the Romans could say, wow, God must be real because the only way a Jew would accept us is if God did, in fact, tell him to say that. 
This is remarkable. This is remarkable. No Gentile would believe that the God of the Jews could accept them or love them if it wasn't a Jew who told them so. And so that's what God did. God chose a Jew, sent him to the people in Rome. And so God actually worked through a Jew. Next slide. A Jew who learned to accept outsiders. This is key. Paul went from hating the Romans to expressing the love of God to them. Wait a second. Wait, maybe there's a principle there for us? No, no, no. This is an ancient letter. It only deals with issues in the first century. This clearly can't be applying to us at all. Um, we know actually, like, these are the people that God works through, right? These are the people that God works through. The kinds of people God works through to spread life and joy to others are people who learn to accept outsiders, people who learn that we are all God's offspring. We are all made in God's image. And so Paul, the Jew, shared with the Gentiles who were in Rome. And the question for us today is, who is an outsider in your life? Who are the outsiders for you? Think about that. Who are the people that are really just on the outskirts? People that you don't want to deal with, don't want to have to deal with? Who do you hate? I mean, maybe there are people who are on the other side of the political aisle from you. Maybe it's people who are homeless. What do you think you might be able to do this week to just take a step toward accepting them? What would it look like to take one step in the direction of accepting an outsider? something's coming to mind, write it down. Write it down. That's God speaking. Now, Paul, so he wasn't just a Jew who learned to accept outsiders. Um, Second, Paul was also a Pharisee. Okay, Paul was also a Pharisee. The Pharisees weren't just Jews. They were the most strict and zealous of all the Jewish groups at the time. These were religious leaders who put the holier in holier than thou. Okay, um, They were convinced they were better than everyone else. They didn't just keep Ten Commandments. They actually scoured the Old Testament, and they had a list of 613 commandments that they all zealously kept. And for the commands that they might be tempted to break, what they started to do is they started to build laws around those commands so that they couldn't even get close to touching the command itself to break it. Um, and so... To the Pharisees, even the normal Jews were unclean and they were sort of fake religious. And so this was who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee who looked down his nose on most of the Jewish population of his day, who lamented in his heart and wept and wailed before God because the entire nation of Israel wasn't as holy as he was trying to be. And so if that's how the Pharisees felt about other Jews, how do you think they felt about Romans? I mean, these are like off the charts awful people. Um, These are the dirtiest and foulest people on earth. 
But if God worked through a Pharisee, if God sent not just a Jew, but a Pharisee to tell the Romans about his love, then it must be true. And God surely had to have spoken. Right? If a Pharisee, who normally wouldn't even enter into the house of a non-Jew, let alone, I mean, there's some Jewish people that they wouldn't darken the doorstep of either uh, because they weren't clean enough, they weren't holy enough, then if that Pharisee would tell the non-Jews who were running the world that was oppressing God's people at the time that God loved them, that God had come to meet them and rescue them and to forgive them, then they could believe that. The Romans knew how far away from God they were in the Jewish thinking. And so God sends them a Pharisee. And again, I need you to think through this, because in Paul's life, Paul was, he was actively at war with Jesus, okay? His efforts and his zeal, like, knew no bounds. So it wasn't just that he was trying really hard to obey the 613 commandments, but he was actively trying to fight against every other way of being Jewish or being religious, And so Paul was actively trying to wipe the memory of Jesus off the face of the earth. He was trying to find the people who were following Jesus, uh, find the people who were, in his mind, were corrupting Judaism, and he he was threatening them, he was imprisoning them, he was beating them, he was executing them. He was at war with Jesus. And he was doing this because he was serving God, which is kind of scary, right? Because when you're doing it for God, then you've got this extra measure of zeal, this extra measure of, I mean, it's so radically, he was so radically at war uh, with Jesus. And he was actually on his way to make Christians suffer when he had an encounter with Jesus, when he met Jesus. Um, He realized in that encounter that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and that God actually had sent Jesus to rescue the world. And he had been blind the whole time. He'd been blind the entire time. And so everything changed for Paul. He completely reversed the direction of his life. And it's, it's kind of amazing because in the book of Acts, when you read about when this happened in Acts chapter 9, when Paul has this encounter, his whole life changes Right? And now he's actively trying to find the Christians because he wants to join the church. And the Christians hear about this and they're like, there's no way in heck we're going anywhere near this guy. Right? Paul's like, no, 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 I'm different. And they're like, yeah, different, right. I mean, it's this crazy, it's kind of like a soap opera thing where Paul's like, no, 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 no I'm really a Christian, I'm one of you. And they're like, uh, yeah. And he's like, no, no, I am. And they're like, no. I mean, it's this cool drama that goes on in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 9 and goes on. You can read about it. And so, but the point is, the point is that Paul, in the face of compelling evidence, he saw that Jesus was in fact God and he was the Savior. And so Paul learned that all of his efforts, the entire direction of his life in fighting against Christianity, he was on the wrong side. He was on the wrong side. He was passionate And he was wrong. And so what we see is, we see that God worked through a Pharisee, 
but not just a Pharisee, but a Pharisee who learned that he was wrong. So let me give you just another political illustration so you can understand just how unbelievable it was for a Pharisee to become a Christian. This would be like in one of the most recent presidential debates if Hillary Clinton were to stop and to say, I need to confess something. I am wrong and Donald Trump should be the next president of the United States. This would be like Hillary Clinton in the middle of a debate beginning to confess all of her political crimes and becoming a spokesperson for Donald Trump. I mean, what if Hillary Clinton showed up this Friday at the inauguration and participated in the, in the inauguration ceremony? Now, I know many of you are offended. Um, some of you are Democrats, and you're offended that I would even suggest something like this. Others of you are Republicans, and you're offended that I would even suggest something like this. The point, though, is like this is what it was like for the Jews and the Gentiles who knew a Pharisee to try to imagine a Pharisee becoming a Christian. And please understand, this is just an illustration, okay? I, this is not any sort of declaration. I'm not saying, God, I'm not saying that Donald Trump is Jesus in the comparison. Please understand that. He is, um, he is, he is also radically flawed also. Um, but people realized that when that happened, it was impossible if God didn't show up. And so for a Pharisee, for, um, for Paul now following and preaching about Jesus meant, like nothing would make a Pharisee believe that he was wrong outside of an actual evidence that Jesus would raise from the dead could have made him so radically change, right? That's the only way it could have happened. And so, um, and so for us, right, for us, this is the, these are the kinds of people that God works through. Okay, God worked through this Pharisee who learned that he was wrong. And this is an invitation for us to ask ourselves, hey, how has God corrected us in our lives? What are the ways that we have been corrected by God? What are the ways that we have thought a certain way and come to realize, wait a second, God actually think something different from us? Um, what are some of the ways that God has come to you and changed how you think about life, about him, about yourself? One of the things that made the apostle Paul so powerful was that he was actually willing to share about the ways that he was wrong. One of the reasons why God chose Paul and worked through Paul was because in Paul he had someone who was humble enough, who didn't act like he had his act together, who didn't act like he was better than anybody, but who was willing to admit, hey, I, he, I mean, we, in, the, in the New Testament, in his own writings, Paul talks about how he persecuted the church and how wrong he was. When we do this, uh, when you learn to share with others how your views have changed, when you learn to be open and honest about ways that you've been wrong, it creates bridges between people. It makes you relatable. It makes God seem more real. Um, 
and it actually shows how God has worked through you uh, to help you to grow as a person, to develop in your relationship with God. There's just radical freedom in being honest. Um, if you've never tried it, <laughs> um, it is so freeing when you are at a place in your life when you recognize that you don't have to be anything but who you are. All right, so Paul was a Jew who learned to accept outsiders, a Pharisee who learned that he was wrong. Um, third, the kind of people God works through, or God in Paul, God worked through. Third, he worked through a sinner. Okay, this is related to learning that you're wrong, but it's a little bit more poignant. Um, the Paul who wrote this letter knew that he was a sinner. In other places, Paul didn't just call himself a sinner, but he called himself the chief of sinners. Paul would say that if we were all going to line up in order of, you know, best person to worst person on earth, Paul would say that he would be in the, at the back of the line. Uh, Paul was willing to admit, he was willing to confess his sins. He did not act. I mean, this is such a radical departure from what it was like to be a Pharisee. He went from being a Pharisee who tried to control everything and everyone and try to present himself as the best person in the room in every room to becoming someone who said, you know what, I realize that all I am is a sinner before Jesus met me. The only thing I have going for me is that I have an ability to acknowledge the fact that I'm not good enough for God. And the moment that he confessed that is when he found forgiveness. The moment that he confessed that is when he found Jesus. Um, and so um, this is why God worked through Paul. And so Paul was a sinner, a sinner who learned that he wasn't worthy. And so I'm just describing now this person that God worked through. Okay, this is a person who wrote this letter, this letter to the church in Rome. And uh, he he learned that he wasn't worthy. And so I want you to look at verses 1 and 5. Next slide's got these two verses up here on the screen, but you look at them in your bulletin. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. That word grace, you can circle it in your bulletin, you can underline it in your Bible. It is so important. It's grace and apostleship that, that Paul has received. And, and this word grace means God's favor. Okay? Paul knew that he wasn't worthy. He knew that he didn't deserve God's favor after the way that he had lived. He knew that he wasn't forgiven because he was a good person. He knew that he wasn't an apostle because he was a good person, because he knew he wasn't a good person. He knew that inside of his heart, there might have been things that were... Um, that were admirable. There might have been things in him that, uh, where he was trying to do the good thing at times, trying to do the right thing at times, but Paul also knew that there was a huge part of him that was flawed and deeply broken. And so he knew that any of God's blessings that would come to him came because of God's grace. God's grace. Paul was forgiven because God is gracious and loving. Paul was an apostle because God is gracious and loving. 
Paul knew that God was the God of second and 102nd chances, um, and that God's grace was the banner over his life. And when we learn this, when we learn that we're not worthy, it makes us humble. And again, it gives us the freedom to be honest about our sins and failures. Like, we don't just live as though we deserve anything. And when you do that, something happens inside your heart. Something happens to your disposition. You stop demanding things from other people. You start realizing, wow, when I think about what I deserve from God and what God has given me, man, his love is extravagant. When you're humbled by this, you're full of gratitude you don't think you're better than other people. You take the effort to understand and serve others. In our family lately, we've been talking about not just arguing with what people say and the words that they say, but trying to understand what they meant when they said what they said. Because very often, at least in our family, we say things that aren't the exact representation of what we mean, and when we get jumped on, we get defensive, and it's this whole like vicious cycle that happens. Um, and we need to grow in this kind of love. We need to grow in this kind of understanding, gracious love, where we say, look, I hear what you said. I think this is what you meant. Is that true? Because if this is what you meant, I'm not going to pick on what you said, but I'm going to respond to what you meant. When you have been graciously loved and forgiven by God, you become the kind of person that wants to love others that way. So when this happens, you're free to not have to prove that you're better than you are. You learn to accept outsiders. You learn, you know, that there's areas of your life where you've been wrong and you change, and then you learn that you're not worthy, and that just magnifies just how much God loves you. And it's at that point that you become a person that God works through. I mean, he'll use you if you have this spirit and this disposition. And that's the application of all of this. You know, Paul has experienced this in his own life, and he's writing this because he wants the Romans to experience this too. God has worked through Paul, and now Paul wants the Romans to experience God working through them. And so what Paul says to the Romans is also true for us. And so I want to hit you uh, with a slide of really verses 6 through 12 that highlight all the things that, God, that Paul says about these people in Rome, these Christians who are in Rome. And so for you, if you're a Christian, these things are true about you as well. We're going to talk about these. And if you're not a Christian, then this is an invitation. This is a promise to you that this is who you will become if you confess that you're not worthy confess your sins to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. This is what he'll do for you. And so Paul says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And so it's like this sort of, it's like a, a machine gun's not the right term, but that's just what comes, it's like this rapid fire where Paul's hitting them over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
He says you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. This is your identity, that you are loved by God. You belong to Jesus. This is a deep-seated affirmation that no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing, no matter how much you're struggling or how much of a broken person you are, God loves you. You belong to him and to his family. And so you don't need the approval of anyone else. That's good news. This was true for them. It's true for you if you're trusting in Jesus today. This is love that changes us. This is love that frees us to accept outsiders without fear, right? Because we've been accepted by God. We have nothing to lose because we have already gained everything in God's love, in his approval, in his acceptance. And so we are free to welcome others. This love frees you to admit that you're wrong and that you're not worthy because you don't have to be worthy anymore because Jesus was worthy for you. Paul says, grace to you and peace. You have God's grace and his peace, his favor that gives rest to your soul. Listen to me, you don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to work to earn God's favor. You don't have to work to earn God's blessing. You don't have to work so that at some point in the future, God will finally say, okay, now I accept you. This doesn't mean that you don't work hard. This doesn't mean that you don't do a good job at work. This doesn't mean that you don't, you know, that you don't apply yourself and work with determination. But this changes everything about your motivation to work hard. You don't have to work hard to earn anything with God. You work hard because you have already received everything from him. Man, that's why you have peace. That's why Paul says you have grace and peace. And then look, verse 8. I love this. He says, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. What a radical affirmation. Paul, the apostle, who has heard of their faith, he's heard testimony. It's kind of crazy, but Paul is quick. He wants at the very beginning, he wants to let them know, hey, I've heard great things about you. I have heard that the power of God is alive in you. You have a reputation that is literally going out into all the world. In the heart and the soul of the Roman Empire, under the nose of Caesar himself, we've heard that there's this group of men and women and children and they are living to the tune of a different soundtrack. They are living in a way that shows that there's actually, there is a king and his name is not Caesar. There is a king and his name is Jesus. There's this group of people in the heart and soul of the most oppressive empire in the history of the world. And they're resisting. They are living in ways that nobody can explain if they don't know Jesus. But if they do, 
they know exactly what's going on, that these men, these women, and these children are living in this new way. It's like a new way of being human, where you're not fighting for yourself, you're not demanding your rights, but you are freely giving yourself away to others in community. You are open to loving others. You are willing to sacrifice. You're willing to even be hurt and harmed because you have been loved by the God of the universe, not in some esoteric way, but personally, because he came to earth and lived for you. He entered into your struggle. He entered into your temptation. He entered into your suffering. And he took it all the way to the uttermost. And he died for you to break its power over you so that you could be free. We've heard about you. We've heard stories of you. There are times when in the life of our church, when people move into town and I get to meet them and I typically ask people, oh, so how long have you been in town? Where'd you come from? And people will say, yeah, I heard about Harbor and I wanted to come check it out. I've heard about what's going on here in the life of this church. And when that happens, I think, man, I'm so proud to be here. I'm so proud to be a part of this church family. I mean, we're not perfect. I get that. Um, We've got all kinds of issues. I get that. But here, there's a group of men and women and children who are broken and flawed, and yet we're living in a way that's trying as best we can to shine forth the reality that there is another king, and his name isn't Trump or Obama. There is another king. His name is Jesus. And we want to put him first. And when we do that, we live in ways that are sacrificial. We live in ways that are loving and gracious and kind, that understanding characterizes us, that we gather together in community and we support each other. We pick each other up and we fall. I mean, this is the kind of life that God puts a spotlight on and spreads it in to the entire world. Paul badly wants to preach in Rome. He badly wants to preach in Rome. Um, not out of arrogance, not because it's like the happening city and he needs to like sort of stake his claim there and like you know, put some notches on his belt that he went to Rome and, and preached there. But no, no, no. Paul wants to preach in Rome because he wants to make sure that these non-Jewish people that are in the heart and soul of the Roman Empire get to hear from a Jewish Pharisee that they have an equal standing with God that he does. He wants the Jews who have become Christians that are in the heart and soul of the Roman Empire to hear his own conviction as a Jewish Pharisee and the way he's being a Jewish Christian so that they would become the kind of Jews that would be attractive for Jesus. And so he writes this letter. He writes this letter to take the good thing that God is doing and to pour rocket fuel on it. He wants it to explode. He wants the influence to get bigger and grander and more glorious. That's what this letter is going to do for us. 
That's what it's going to do for you as an individual. It's what this letter is going to do for us as a church family. And next week, if you come, we're going to talk about the ways that we are going to express this together as a family this year. And as I do this, I want us all to remember, some of you have seen this before, the next slide. Um, This is a piece of pottery that's reflective of a kind of art called kintsukuroi. Okay, kintsukuroi is the art of repairing pottery with gold or silver lacquer and seeing that the piece is more beautiful because it's been broken. The piece is more beautiful because it's been broken. The joy of this art is that it doesn't try to hide the cracks, but it rather seeks to make the cracks beautiful. Friends, this is what God does with us when you learn to accept outsiders, when you learn to admit when you're wrong, and you learn to live in the wondrous freedom that you're not worthy, but Jesus was for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for meeting us in our brokenness and putting our pieces back together in a way that so often doesn't hide the fact that we have been broken. Uh, We take such great pains to hide our brokenness, to cover up our flaws and our imperfections and our sin. And we thank you that we don't have to do that. We thank you that we can bring all that we are into your light and have you meet us and put the gold of your grace and your forgiveness into our broken places and make us even more beautiful. Oh, Jesus, would you do that for us? Thank you for Paul, for doing it for him, for taking him as the most unlikely person and making him the greatest trophy of your grace. Make us those same trophies, Jesus. We want to give you the credit and give you the glory. Jesus, speak to each one of us now. For those of us who are Christians, show us what steps we can take this week to accept outsiders, to admit when we're wrong, and to get to a place where we can glory in you because we're not worthy. And for those who are here and aren't Christians, Jesus, would you show them how much you love them and give them the strength that they need to commit to following you. We pray this in your name. Amen.